Uh, The reading this morning is from John 2, uh, 1 to 12. So John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars up with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Uh, Thanks, Caleb. Um, Probably really helpful to keep your Bible open there at John chapter 2. This morning we are starting a new short little series. Uh, It's going to go for the next four weeks. And uh, we are going to be looking at some of the miracles that Jesus performs in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in John. Um, Why why this series? Why now? Um, Well, I, I think we are, as a church, we are praying for a miracle at the moment. Uh, We're praying for a miracle in in John's life. And so over the next few weeks, we want to think about the miracles that Jesus did, uh, why he did them, and what we can think about miracles for today. How we should pray, uh, how we should think, how we should expect or not expect miracles. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be be looking at that. And we're going to start uh, with this miracle here in John chapter 2. Um, if you want an outline of this morning, uh, there's some very brief outlines. They are available on the welcome desk. Uh, at the bottom, we have what is called a coffee question. Uh, that might mean a discussion starter for after the service. We have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and we're chatting to each other. Uh, maybe we want to talk about the sermon, and that's a discussion starter. Uh, kids, there is a kid sheet, as always, with a bit of an outline of today's message, and uh, the passage is on the back uh, as well for you to be able to follow along. Let's pray as we get stuck in. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that we get this time now to consider your word, to consider the work of Jesus, uh, what he did on earth in uh, his earthly ministry, and what he might still be doing today. And Lord God, we we pray this morning that you would use your word Uh, not just in our minds, but in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, that you would use it to shape us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. Uh, Lord God, to increase our trust 
in you. We pray, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you have ever seen a clip of a wedding fail. Uh, if you used to watch that old show, Australia's Funniest Home Videos, um, this was like a weekly occurrence on there, wasn't it? This was montage of wedding fail videos. Uh, things like brides falling over on the way down the aisle, uh, grooms fainting at an inopportune moment in front of their families and friends, uh, people dancing in high heels, uh, people dancing in high heels too close to a wedding cake, uh, or things like that. They're quite funny, aren't they? So there's all these clips of people stuffing up, failing at a wedding, uh, wondering how badly that wedding was ruined. Personally, I've, uh, I've done a few weddings in my time. Um, I've been to a number, done a couple, and I have seen a few wedding fails. Uh, they usually involve weddings that are done outside or involve children or favorite pets. Uh, and so if you want the first point of application for this morning's sermon, it's this. If you want to reduce the chances of a wedding fail, don't go outside, don't have children, and don't involve your favorite pet. And don't dance near the wedding cake in high heels, probably as well. Today, though, uh, we have a wedding fail from the Bible, and quite a different one. It was not a wedding fail that was caught on camera, and it was no laughing matter. It was a wedding fail that had the potential for great loss of face for those involved, for the bride, for the groom, and particularly for their families. But this wedding fail is quite different, and this wedding is quite unique. It's one of the few weddings that we actually have recorded for us in the Bible. And it's unique because it is a wedding where Jesus is in attendance. As I said this morning, we're starting this new series looking at some of the miracles that Jesus performed on earth through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're actually going to take a miracle from each of those Gospels. Today, we start with this one. Why this one? Well, John tells us that this is the first miracle of Jesus in Cana. It's the first one that he does, but it's also a great introduction to miracles. Because it tells us a lot about the miracles that Jesus did, why he did them, what it says about him and his work and his mission, and it says something about the work that he is still doing in our lives, in the church, and in the world today. So let's jump in. Now, all, all weddings are pretty special occasions, aren't they? Uh, I know that I like it when I go to the letterbox or someone hands me this nice crisp envelope and I open it up and it's all kind of expensive paper and expensive uh, writing on it. And there inside is an invite to a wedding and a wedding reception. It's very special. And in Jesus' case, that was definitely the, the case and maybe even more so. A wedding feast in Jesus' day could go for several days. In fact, commentators suggest that a wedding feast could go anywhere from three to seven days. They were quite a party. 
There was large extended family there. Neighbors were there. The village was there. It was a time of great celebration. And we read at this wedding in Cana, which is close to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, uh, Jesus is there and so is his disciples and so is his mother. But at this wedding, we also read that something goes horribly wrong. There is quite the wedding fail. They run out of wine. Now, I'm going to address a little question that we have about this passage here straight off the bat, and then we're done done with it. Um, They don't run out of grape juice. Maybe they did, but we're not told that. Uh, They run out of wine. But having said that, uh, this isn't telling us whether we should drink wine or not drink wine. Uh, Those who want to argue the drink or don't drink wine argument need to probably look somewhere else. But at this wedding, uh, they drank wine. doesn't tell us they got drunk on wine, and they ran out of it. Uh, Jesus performs a miracle with wine. It's a wedding. There's wine, and people are drinking it. But running out of wine is an issue. It's an issue here. It's a social faux pas. It involves a loss of face for those who are involved. But in this instance, the running out of wine doesn't seem to be common knowledge. But somehow in there, Mary knows. She knows what has happened. And when she hears what has happened, we read there in verse 3, She approaches Jesus. Now, we don't know why she goes to Jesus at this point. We could speculate some stuff about her knowledge of who Jesus is, but we don't know for sure. She goes to him because she thinks Jesus can do something about it. Now, Jesus' response to her there in verse 4 comes across a little bit harsh, doesn't it? A little bit sharp. He says, Woman, Uh, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that address there, woman, uh, that is not a harsh comment in this this context. It's a way that Jesus addresses his mother in other places. Uh, It's a way that Jesus addresses. It's just kind of like lady, uh, woman. It's not meant to be harsh. But the next part of it does stand out a little bit stark. He says, what does this have to do with me? It's kind of like, is this really my problem? Like, is this really my issue here? And then he says something really cryptic. He says, my hour has not yet come. Jesus doesn't seem to be overly enthusiastic about doing something about the situation. But that doesn't stop him. Jesus tells the servants to do whatever Jesus says and Jesus tells them, verse 6, to get six stone water jars. And John gives us a little bit of background about what these water jars are. They're not just buckets for collecting rainwater. These are for, he says there, the Jewish rites of purification. This is kind of water that was used particularly before meals for washing hands. Now that's a hygiene issue, but it's, it's more than a hygiene issue. 
This was part of Jewish ritual, Israelite custom, to say that cleanliness, being clean before God, is important. Jesus tells them to take them, and he asks them to fill them, and then he tells them to pour out their contents and take it to the master of the feast. Now, this guy, this master of the feast, um, he's not the groom. Uh, He's not probably the father of the groom or the father of the bride either. Um, He's probably a very high servant uh, in the party. Think kind of like paid wedding planner kind of guy. He takes it out, and guess what? (laughs) Uh, This water has turned into wine. And not just any old wine, lots of wine. Think 66 dozen bottles of wine. That's, that's how much we have here. And not just ordinary wine, but really, really good wine. Well, the master of the feast, he goes off then to the, to the groom, we read, and, and he sort of says, you know, <laughs> uh, what are you doing here? This is the best stuff. You know, you, you, you normally serve this up first. You know, you set a good impression with all your guests, and when the pellets aren't so, you know, fussy anymore, then you serve them up the four ninety nine Aldi bottles of wine uh, that you've got out the back. He says, "What are you doing here? You see what's happened here? Jesus has provided at a wedding. He's provided generously. He's provided kindly." And he's provided powerfully at this wedding. He stopped a wedding fail. He stopped a loss of face for the bride and the groom and their families. Now, we're all waiting to get to verse 11. I'm waiting to get to verse 11. It's a big verse. And all the biblically astute are saying, you missed something. I missed several somethings as we were going through. But I want to stop here for a moment. Because as I was looking at this this week, I realized that I've missed something here before. And I've preached from this before, not, not here, but in other places. And I've missed something when I've preached this before. Jesus does a miracle. I know, it's obvious, isn't it? But Jesus does a miracle at a wedding. He generously, kindly, and powerfully intervenes in this wedding for these people. He doesn't seem to do anything special for that miracle. He doesn't lay hands on the water jars. He doesn't pray, as, well, as far as we know. He doesn't sort of use it as this big teaching moment for his disciples. Hey, here, watch this. <coughs> he simply, quietly performs this miracle for people who probably never knew it happened. As far as we know, this, this doesn't become public knowledge. Now, one of the things... Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) One of the things we want to do this series is ask the question, 
Does God still do miracles today? Should we expect this? What is a miracle and what isn't a miracle? Now, I'm not going to answer all of, all of that today. You're going to have to keep coming back for the next three weeks. And some of that is, is actually very difficult to answer. But there is something here that we should notice. God is involved in the ordinary, everyday events of life. God is involved and he acts generously, kindly, and powerfully for his people. Now, many, many, sorry, <clears throat> many number of years ago, uh, I was involved in leading mission trips uh, out of Perth into the desert in WA, uh, 1,600 kilometers east of Perth, uh, well into the desert, two-thirds of the way to Uluru. Uh, on one of those trips, uh, we ran out of petrol uh, in the van that I was driving. Um, rookie error, uh, should have known better. Uh, we were about 50, 100 kilometers short uh, of our destination. So there we were on the side of the road, uh, myself, a few other leaders, uh, a bunch of young people, uh, kind of stranded. What happens? Five minutes later, a car pulls up. And what do you know? They just happen to be Christians. <laughs> and what do you know? They just happen to live five minutes around the corner from the church uh, that we came from. And what do you know? They've got the right type of fuel sitting there spare in a canister. And they filled the van up and off we all went on our merry way. Now, don't be fooled by the fact that this was a mission trip. What was that? This was God providing generously, kindly, and powerfully. You know, we're tempted to think of circumstances like that and say, what an incredible coincidence. How lucky were you that you people, that these people were just, just behind you. But really? Do, do we really think that? If God in his word tells us that the whole world belongs to him and he created it and he reigns over it and he's sovereign over it and he loves and he cares for people, is there such thing as chance, good fortune, good luck? Not at all. God is providing generously, kindly, and powerfully for his people. Now, can you call that a miracle? I don't know. It's probably not the point. The point is not what we call it. The point is that God is at work. God acts. God works for the good of his people. We should ask God to act. We should look to him to provide for us. Now, did God, God have to provide in that circumstance? No, he didn't. He might have taught Clinton a very important lesson about not missing the only fuel stop for 300 kilometers on that day. That would have been a great lesson for me to learn on that day. But he chose not to. I still learned that lesson, by the way. But he chose to provide in that circumstance. People, people sometimes ask, ask the question, do you pray for car park spaces in a busy car park? Well, you can. You know, 
It's not like God isn't interested. It's not like he's not there at that moment. It's not like, well, that's not spiritual enough. He may teach you a lesson to arrive early. Maybe. But maybe, maybe he'll provide. When, you, when your washing machine breaks down, you can pray. Pray for God to fix it. Pray for God to provide another one. When you're, when you're sick and going to the doctor, you can pray that God makes you better through, through the things that that doctor gives you. When you're looking for a house to buy, you can pray. You can ask that God would provide a place for you. Because God hasn't just set the world up and disappeared. He's involved. He reigns over it. He's in control. And he's providing. So generously, so kindly, and so powerfully for us. Now, uh, on this uh, passage, Rowan Atkinson, the comedian and the actor, he has a bit of a skit that he does uh, about John chapter 2. Um, and he, he finishes the story at verse 10, and then he, he kind of goes off on a, on a, on a tangent um, about Jesus doing tricks. Is this just a matter of Jesus doing a trick at a wedding? Well, not really, because verse 11 is important. If you want to have a look with me. John gives us kind of an editorial comment on what happened. He says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Three things that, three things that John says about this miracle. First thing he tells us that this is the first of his signs. It's interesting, when John talks about miracles, John often talks about signs. His emphasis is not so much on the power on display, although that's there and you can't miss it, but on what it says about Jesus and the work that he has come to do. This miracle here is actually bigger than just the miracle. It says something about Jesus and it says something about the work that he has come to do. Well, what is it saying? Well, there's a couple of things in here that kind of should, should jog our memory or make us think bigger. Jesus is there at a wedding. And the wedding in the Old Testament is one of the pictures that God gives for his work in restoring his people, restoring, in fact, the whole world, back to himself. He describes that work like a marriage. Listen to this. It comes from Isaiah uh, 54. Listen to what he says. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she has, is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. The same is true in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, and so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. When they, they had a wedding and they, they celebrated the wedding, 
they saw this as a picture of what God was going to do for them as a people. He, like a bride, was going to, like a groom, was going to gather his bride to him and be united to his people once and for all. But what happens at this wedding? It all goes horribly wrong when they run out of wine. Now again, wine is another one of these great pictures from the Old Testament. A picture of God's provision and his abundance. God providing wonderfully in restoring his people. Listen to this. It also comes from Isaiah chapter 25, uh, starting at verse 6. On this mountain, this is talking about God restoring his people, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Good, abundant, quality wine was a sign or a symbol or a picture of God pouring out his blessing on his people. And in Joel Joel chapter 1 and 2, when there's judgment, it's described as the wine drying up and the vines drying up. You see, what happens at this wedding is awful for the people involved, but it's actually a sign of a much greater problem. Not just that there are wedding fails, but there are fails all over the place. That humanity is a fail. That people who should be in relationship with God are far and distant from him. The reality is is that our world and our lives are one big fail. We live in a world full of injustice and oppression and hurt. We live in a, in a world where people we know and love get cancer, where people are pulled apart in marriages, in families, in friendships. A world where there is abundant misery and suffering. We have lives that never seem to quite get it right. For all the facade and the bravado that we put on, we we all live with this deep-seated fear that our lives are an absolute mess and disaster zone. As a wedding runs out of wine... We're reminded why that is the case. Because we live in a world and have lives that are under the curse of sin, that have been rebellious against the God who created us, and have been suffering for that ever since Adam and Eve. But it's not that God is distant and doesn't care. Into this steps Jesus. And what does he do? He takes these stone jars. And what are they used for? Cleansing, purifying. And what does he do with them? He fills them to the brim. 
with a symbol of the goodness and abundance and the blessing of God. And he generously and he kindly and he powerfully gives that to ruined, destroyed lives and humanity. What is the sign that John is talking about? It's the sign that in Jesus, God has come to do something. He has come to restore broken world back to himself. He's come to restore lives to himself. And he's come to do that in Christ. He's come to do that in his very own son. Now, the second thing that John tells us about this miracle is that in doing this, it says that in verse 11, he manifested his glory. Another word for manifested is he revealed his glory. He showed his character. He showed who he is and what he is like. Earlier in the book of John, in chapter 1, verse 14, tells talking about Jesus, says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What has Jesus done in this miracle? He has revealed that he has come from the Father. He has the Father's glory and he has come in grace and truth. This is not some itinerant magician or miracle worker. This is God himself who has come to pour out abundance and blessing through restoration on this world and on his people. He has come to display the glory of the Father. And in displaying that glory, to draw people to himself. Jesus says here, we looked at that before, we kind of glanced over it, that his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Did did you notice what we read in Matthew 26 earlier today? That he said his, his time had come. He says the same thing in John. His time had come. And it had come as he went to the cross. As he revealed the glory of the Father through the path of suffering and death. The very path that would lead to life and blessing for his people. The path of punishment the path of taking sin and taking punishment so that those who belong to him could be forgiven. We live in a world that has gone horribly wrong. It's funny to watch on Funniest Home videos, but it's not funny to look around at the mess. But into this, our Savior Jesus has stepped. The Son of God. And He's come to restore and to bring hope to pour out the blessing of God.
Maybe you're here today and you feel that very keenly in your own life. You feel that very personally, the mess that we're in. You look at your life and you realize there is so much that is harmful and hurtful and broken. We all have that. You're not alone. You're not unique. Christians aren't people who have somehow done it better, made less of a mess of their lives. Christians are people who have found their hope and their healing and their restoration in the Savior Jesus. They found grace and truth, a new restored relationship with God. Not because they deserved it or earned it, but because God and Christ provided generously and kindly and powerfully. The last thing that John says about this miracle, it was a sign and he manifested his glory. And he tells us that his disciples believed in him. His disciples put their trust, their hope in him. They found in him one who was the answer to the destruction of this world and the destruction of our lives. And ever since then, people have been believing putting their hope, putting their trust in this Jesus. Yes, he performs miracles and he he does wonders. But in him we find life, forgiveness and restoration. In him we find peace, the new kingdom of God coming into this world, reigning and ruling, drawing all of creation to himself. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you didn't abandon your creation when we rebelled from you. But thank you right from that moment You had a plan to restore, to forgive, to create a people who belong to you, to renew all that has been made. And this morning, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this miracle, this sign. Lord, we thank you for what this points to the wonderful hope that is ours in Christ. Lord God, this morning we pray for those that we know that don't know that hope yet. We pray, Lord God, that you would be at work and that people would know in Jesus forgiveness and peace a new start and a new relationship with you. We pray for all of us, Lord, and the ways in which we feel the brokenness of this world. 
Lord, give us hope as we turn and we again put our trust in Christ. Lord God, we pray that he would return. We pray that he would come quickly and he would finish this work. We ask this in his wonderful name. Amen.